I invite you to take your Bible and let's turn to the Psalms, particularly the 145th Psalm. We are pausing our time in Genesis. We finished that a few weeks back and took some time to think about the resurrection last Sunday. Now we'll spend a few Sundays in the Psalms before moving on to another place. Psalm 145. It's a short psalm. I'll read it its entirety before we begin. Song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, I simply ask that you will bless the time in your word that is spent here. May we hear from you. May we hear your thoughts, your wisdom. Spirit, speak to us, please. Take the seed that is planted within us. Bring fruit abundantly from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we've all been there before. Standing there holding a piece of paper 
smeared with colors that don't blend and match, go way outside the lines. It's got letters on it that don't make sense in any language. It's got words on it that you can't read or even pronounce. Standing there trying to make sense of this drawing that the little one in front of you just presented. Boy, are they proud of the drawing that they're showing you. Shapes are hard to define. Is that a dinosaur or is that an airplane? Really not sure and you don't want to take a chance at guessing incorrectly. So the pressure is on. What are you going to say to this little precious child who lovingly drew you a picture, colored a picture for you, you have a tough time identifying. Well, if you're a horrible person, you critique the disproportionate shapes and uh, that my belly is not really that big and my nose is not really that large. You point out all the inconsistencies, but hopefully you're not a horrible person, right? Hopefully you are a little kinder and a little bit more gentle and you praise the work for what it is. More specifically, you praise the child for what they did, for a job well done. You might even display it in the most sacred of places where all of the prized artwork in the house belongs. Your place is the same as mine, right on the fridge, until the next one replaces it. You're thankful for the act of love that was displayed in this drawing. You're proud even of the accomplishment that your little one did. And we praise them because we want to encourage them. We don't want to squash their hopes and dreams because it's not Picasso, or maybe it is. Maybe it's not uh, Da Vinci. Maybe it's not uh, art gallery quality, but you know what? It's special because it's your child. It's a, it's a, or it was done with a heart of love. We praise because we want to show appreciation for the thoughtful gesture. But there's always this tension, this balance getting it right, that sometimes our praise won't equal the worth of the person or the deed. We want them to feel good about what they did, but we don't want to go overboard. We want to encourage them to keep at it. Maybe you recognize that there's a, a hint of talent there. And you want them to keep at it so that they will improve. Nobody starts off at the top of their game. So we offer praise as an incentive to keep at it. Don't give up. But there is a point when praise is too much. You go overboard. When the act doesn't equal the praise. You understand what I'm saying? When mom brings the meatloaf, a simple thank you might be enough. You don't need to fall to your knees and weep tears of joy, gratitude for meatloaf. We don't give prizes like trophies for mowing the lawn. We don't throw parties because someone fixed a, fixed a leaky faucet. 
We applaud at the piano recital. But we're not calling the 6 o'clock news either. We're trying to find this balance. Because the praise must match the person or the work. Maybe you've been on the opposite end of that. You've been on the receiving end of excessive praise. You did something. You're kind of proud of it. But the amount of praise that you get back is, uh, you know, like, eh, it was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't that good. Uh, tone it down a little bit. But I wonder about our praise to God. Where does our praise to God fit in with this? Now, I'm going to ask a, a ridiculous question, and it may even sound like a blasphemous question, but I want to ask the question and consider it this morning in light of Psalm 145. Can we go overboard in our praise to God? Can you praise God too much? The Bible says a lot about praising and blessing and honoring God. Is there a limit? And unless you truly understand who God is and what God has done, the natural question when we're thinking about praise is, does God deserve all this? Or you might answer the question and put a limit on it in some way or shape or form. Now, in the Bible, if we're thinking about people who praised the Lord a lot, David has got to be at the top of the list. And right away, in Psalm 145, David pledges to extol, to bless, and to praise God's name forever and ever. Right away in the first two verses. This is what one writer called unreserved, unbroken, unending praise from the king to the king. And David's not saying the same thing three different times because he likes the sound of it. He's not simply waxing poetic here. Rather, each word intensifies the other, the desire that David has. Charles Spurgeon uh, commented on this saying that David used this word for the deepening and sweetening of the sense. He says that to bless God is to praise Him with a personal affection for Him. It's not just simply to praise Him, to identify a good thing that He did, but to do so with an affection for what He did. He says it's a wishing well to God. This is more than compliment that David is getting after. David has a deep affection for his God for his king. And that leads him to pledge himself to unreserved, unbroken, unending praise. Which then begs the question for us, what did David see in God that evoked such unending praise? Such unreserved adoration? And can you and I say the same thing? If we have a lesser view of God, we will naturally try to 
keep from going overboard in our praise. In other words, how we view God is going to determine how we praise Him. If we have a low view of God, we question whether or not God deserves that much. If we think that God is just a little bit higher than us, just a little bit stronger than us, just He's on another level, but it's not like light years. It's just, you know, He's on the next rung or two then we develop a limited view of God's worth for praise. Very simply, if we have a low view of God, we will not praise God enough. But if we let the Scriptures reveal to us who this God is and what this God has done, we quickly learn that God is nothing like us. He is much higher than us. Not just a little bit, but a whole lot higher than us. He is much grander in all of His ways than we are. He is much wiser. And He is worthy of the highest praise and even more deserving of praise than we imagine. Now, Psalm 145 is the introduction to the last five psalms. Psalm 145 introduces what's called the Hallelujah Psalms. 146 all the way to 150. And they're called the Hallelujah Psalms because they begin and end with the phrase Hallelujah, or in English, praise the Lord. That's what Hallelujah means, praise the Lord. And 146 to 150 all start with praise the Lord and they all end with praise the Lord. And Psalm 145 prepares us to praise the Lord. It's also a significant psalm because this is one of a few acrostic psalms. Now this may be getting into a little bit of the nitty gritty, but I think it would be helpful for us to just consider this for a moment. Psalm 145 is what's called an, an acrostic psalm, which means that each line of the psalm begins with the next letter of the alphabet. This is, in English, would be an A to Z Psalm. Hebrew is not A to Z. So verse 1 begins with A or Aleph and ends with the last letter Tav. Z is actually in the middle. So it's A to T kind of, kind of, a, kind of a poem. The technique here is obviously not obvious in, uh, in English, but it's used to make the psalm beautiful. It's used for form. It's also helpful for memorizing it when you remember that the next line starts with the next letter of the alphabet. It is very, it's used similarly to the way that we would use rhyme and rhythm in English poetry. Now, as I said, the, the Hebrew uh, translating to English, gets we lose that, that emphasis of the acrostic, but the idea being presented here is simple. An acrostic psalm covers everything from A to Z. It is an exhaustive or complete presentation of whatever topic. And since the psalm begins with a song of praise, this is an in-depth, exhaustive treatment on praising God. Now, one slight mechanical detail for the few of us that are interested in this. There is... 
No N line in verse 13. You can look at it later on. If you're using an ESV, you can see it. It's in brackets there. And that's because it's only found in one or two older manuscripts. And so most modern translations don't include that because they were seeing it as an addition that someone came later on and said, oh, it's missing a line. I need to complete this. So they put that in there. Now, if this was done intentionally, left out, it could mean to emphasize the incompleteness of man's praise. That's not the main idea, but there's, there's a sidebar bonus. You don't have to pay for that. As David the king praises his king, we, the audience, get to consider how great and worthy God is. Because by the end of the psalm in verse 21, we're not only drawn in, but we are called to join in. Praise to the king of the king. And for the final five psalms, it's praise the Lord. It's a command. It's a directive for us to praise the Lord. Now notice how praise begins. How does praise get started? David identifies three or four different uh, steps, if you will, to how praise begins. And if you look in verse number four, we see the first is that David hears what God has done. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Then, after hearing what was done, he meditates on what was heard, verse number five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your works, I will meditate. David's thinking about what he has heard. He's giving serious thought to what has been said to him. And then as he understands that, then the final step, he himself declares God's greatness at the end of verse number six, I will declare your greatness. So praise involves hearing about what God has done, considering it carefully, understanding what has been done, and concluding that God is great and has done great things and then declaring it out loud, saying it. It just doesn't come. It starts by hearing it from outside of yourself, internalizing it, meditating on it, thinking about it. As you understand it, then you conclude the same thing and you repeat the process. And as David spends time considering what God has done, he is moved to praise God for who he is. And those two aspects are important. What God has done and who God is. But notice what he says in verse number four. Every generation is responsible here. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Every generation needs to know what God has done. Otherwise, this kind of exuberant praise sounds over the top. If I don't truly get who this God is, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to give him that much credit. But notice what it says there, that one generation will commend another. This is where it starts. It doesn't say that the older generation is going to tell the younger generation. It doesn't even say that one generation is going to tell the next generation. 
It just says that one generation will tell another. Simply one group of people telling another group of people about the great God and about his wonderful works. And I would say that it is the responsibility of every generation to declare God's mighty acts, to declare his wonderful works. And a generation fails another generation when they do not do this, when they do not declare what God has done both in years gone by as well as in recent memory. That means parents must teach their children what God has done. Do you want your kids to take God seriously right now as children and especially as adults? Then you must teach them about this God. You must help them to have a high view of God. Because if you don't teach them, where are they going to get it? They're not going to pick that up naturally. They're not going to hear that from other places. We must teach them. Grown-ups need to teach younger generations. doesn't necessarily need to be your kids, but just younger generations. What God did a long time ago, Bible times, but also things that happened in our lifetime. What great works has God done for you that you're telling other generations? We can reverse this. Kids, listen boys and girls, you are responsible to praise God to another generation. Have you ever thought about that? You can tell other people, older people even. They don't get much younger than you, right? But you can tell other people what God has done. And you're not teaching them maybe, but you're reminding what God has done. We are praising God. Sometimes to God directly, but in the declaring to one another, we are praising God to other people. Young adults, tell the older crowd about God's wonderful works that you've seen in his word and seen in his life in your life just as older crowd make sure that you're telling the younger crowd what God has done this is one reason why I believe understanding church history is so important because we see God's faithfulness in every generation not just Old Testament New Testament 21st century on Sunday nights, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and one of the statements that I, I mentioned as we talked about one of the, one of the pieces of the Apostles' Creed was uh, that a, a church historian told the author of the book we were looking at, uh, my job is to show you that there was someone between Jesus and your grandma and to show you that that matters. Because sometimes we think that, all right, I'm going to read about the characters in the Bible and then pause church history until we catch up to someone that I knew in my lifetime. But God has been faithful in every generation. And when we learn about our history, and we learn about the church family, our family history, we are seeing how God has been faithful to people that are in the Bible, people that are in our own lifetimes, but everybody in between. And one of the important things about the younger generation telling the older generation is that we show that God is still being faithful and they're still seeing God do the same wonderful works in their lives as he was doing in ours. We must praise God to one another. 
We must tell each other what is going on. And that is the gathering purpose. That is the aim of our Sunday gatherings. Now, that's not the aim of everywhere you would, find, you would, you would go to church on a Sunday. You go to a place that says we're having church on Sunday and you show up. It's not always going to be that way. A lot of times church is meant to make you feel good, to fit your preferences and to, to, to make you walk out of there feeling like I'm a, I'm a champion, I'm a winner. But that's not really the reason we're supposed to gather for church. The aim of our Sunday gatherings is to declare God's mighty acts. Sunday worship is not primarily geared to you and me. It's to Him. It's to God. It's meant for God's people to gather, to hear, and to talk about His wonderful works so that as we hear and understand, we will give Him praise. Not just on Sunday, but all week long. We gather again and we get ourselves back in the right frame of mind and we go back out and we do it again. Psalm 145 spells out from A to Z who God is and what God does. We're not going to work everything through this, but just notice what David says about who God is in the psalm. He says that God is gracious. He says that God is merciful that God is slow to anger, that He is abounding in steadfast love and in hesed, in, in loving kindness and faithful, loyal love. He is good and merciful to all of His creation. He is righteous in all His ways, and He is kind in all His works. This is our God. And the goodness of God is seen clearly in the works that He has done. It says that He is the King forever. That He reigns throughout all time. And He upholds those who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. He sustains and feeds all of His creation. He satisfies our desires. He is near to those who call out to Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. Hears their cries, saves them, preserves them who love him, destroys the wicked. David is hearing these things, considering them, meditating on them, understanding, and he has no choice but to offer joyful praise. Praising God every day and blessing Him forever and ever is not too much to David because, verse number 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. God is great and His worth is equal to His greatness. Well, just how great is He? It's unsearchable is unmeasurable, is unknowable, unfathomable. That's how great he is. And that's how worthy he is. Job 5.9 says that God does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Hymn writer William Cowper wrote, Praise ye then his glorious name, 
publish his exalted fame. Still, his worth, your praise exceeds. Excellent are all his deeds. Now much of the character of God and the works specifically described here are shown in his faithfulness to his people. God faithfully cares for them and rescues them and saves them and preserves them and on and on. And, and, and he certainly he does, and, it, and in the psalm even gives attention to what God does for all people, for all of his creation. He feeds the people, all the people, not just his people. He provides, Jesus said in Matthew 5, that, he, that the Father sends sunshine and rain on the evil and the just, on the wicked and the good. But God's greatness and his power are especially shown toward his people, particularly in the redemption of his people. And a lot of the words, the little phrases that we have here about the, the mighty works and the, and, the, and the wonderful deeds, all when the Bible speaks of that, generally it's referring to the saving power of God on behalf of his people. In other words, when we look at this with a New Testament lens, we see that the greatest demonstration of God's power and love and might and wisdom is in Jesus Christ. That's why in John uh, 1, uh, it says that Jesus, who is God, has made the Father known to us. He has declared him. He has made him known. No one has seen God, but the only God, uh, Jesus Christ, has made him known. That's why we worship God through Jesus Christ, who is God himself. But we, we worship him in light of what he has done and who he is. And most clearly that is seen in what he has done for us in saving us and bringing salvation and healing to us. So does God deserve this kind of praise? Really? Every day? Forever? And ever? Yeah. Of course. We read in Revelation where they, they don't stop praising God. We shouldn't either. God deserves all of our praise and more. Because His worth is equal to His unsearchable greatness. Because everything that God does and has done for all of His creation and specifically for His people. He deserves it because of all that he's shown himself to be. He deserves all of our praise and more. Our praise will never be too much. We will never exhaust the greatness of God's worth. So then let us join the king in praising the king of kings. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Let us say with David as he concludes the song, as he says in the psalm, I will meditate. I will declare your greatness. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come because we know that you've called us to worship and we know with just a small fraction of understanding of the greatness of of our God. Even in your word, it's overwhelming to us at times to read what you are and, and what you've done. 
then we're just given enough to realize that this is just a drop in the ocean of your greatness and your goodness. Father, it's easy for us to bring you down to our level. It's what we do when we commit idolatry, bringing God down to something that we can understand. God, you are so much greater and higher than us, so much wiser, so much more powerful. It is our privilege to worship you, our King. Through Jesus, our King. May we who have knowledge of Jesus Christ, completed work of Scripture in our hands, search it and learn how good you are and how much you have done and how faithful you are. And let us uh, give us understanding as we read your word and then give us. Opportunity to praise to another generation. Give us boldness to do it. Give us faithfulness to do it. And resound with praise. Not just as we gather here on Sunday. Not just as we sing the songs. As we interact with our families. As we interact with our neighbors. As we interact as a community outside of these walls. Let us give to you glorious praise by the spirit that you have given to us. May those who hear be changed by the power of this great God and call sinners to yourself and once again show that your power is limitless. You are still saving sinners bringing them to the subjection of Jesus Christ, giving us even more reason to praise your name over and over and forever and ever. For your glory, for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. And amen.